Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This episode of the Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your NBA betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games to conference championships right through to the NBA Finals. Bet Online is your NBA headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Today on the Patriots Report, it's ESPN's Field Yates. First of all, a personal note Field is one of the best in the business. About a dozen or so years ago, Field, Mike Reese, and Mike Rodak were together on the Patriots beat working for ESPN. And as a competing reporter, I can tell you, it was like facing Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. All three guys, Field, Reese, and Rodak, have been on the podcast now multiple times. This time, Field makes his return, and we talk about the relationship between Bill Belichick and Mac Jones, draft priorities for the Patriots, who will have a bigger impact on the 2023 team, Mike Kosicki or Juju Smith-Schuster, and much more. That's all up right now on the Patriots Report. All right, Field, there's been a lot of talk this offseason about the relationship between Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. What's your take on where things currently stand between the coach and the quarterback? Yeah, Pricey, I'd say that I like to deal in concrete facts when it comes to stuff that isn't black and white. You know, if it's a player being signed or a player being traded, there's two outcomes, right? It's either true or it's false. He's been signed or he hasn't been signed. He's been traded or he hasn't been traded. In the case of things like relationships and respect within the locker room, things like that, various stories that bubble up from one time to another and really across all sports, I tend to uh, side on, or I guess, err on the side of what have we known to be true? And I don't know that Bill Belichick has said anything that suggests that he doesn't respect Mac Jones and his work ethic and his potential leadership and his potential on-field performance. I think that last year was a frustrating year for probably everybody on the Patriots' offensive side of the ball and truthfully, probably the entire roster when one side of the ball isn't doing its job at an adequate level. It puts a different level of pressure on the other more complementary parts of the roster as well. But, you know, I mean, if you want to read in the signs, I don't know, on Bill Belichick's birthday, which was the day before you and I are having this conversation, Mac Jones took to Instagram to wish him a happy birthday. So I think bottom line is this, is we can talk about the suggestions or the signs or the rumors and all that. Bill Belichick and Mac Jones need each other. And the Patriots need Mac Jones to be their starting quarterback. And I believe that the Patriots need to do everything within their power to empower Mac Jones as much as possible. They did a really good job of that back in 2021 when, as a rookie, Mac Jones had, if you go stack up every rookie quarterback season ever, one of the better rookie quarterback seasons, certainly of the past decade. And historically, it's up there. I'm not saying this is the greatest of all time, but it was a rock-solid rookie season by any objective measure. The Patriots last year went to the exact opposite side of the spectrum. It was a quiet offseason in terms of player personnel acquisition. And obviously the coaching staff was about as much of a change as you could possibly have from the second longest tenured offensive coordinator in the NFL at the time and Josh McDaniels. 
Uh, only Pete Carmichael of the Saints had been around in his current spot longer to somebody who had never called an offensive play in his life, obviously, in Matt Patricia, who was a defensive guy. So I think more important than the relationship is the Patriots putting Mac in a position to succeed. And then Mac sort of following the footsteps he followed or he set for himself as a rookie back in 2021. Because ultimately, if this team is playing much better football, uh, and I would say already on paper, they seem primed for a much better offensive season. Mm-hmm. I think the relationship story, like that kind of stuff goes away because you'll see a lot of smiles and a lot of winning in New England. It feels like they have done, as you point out, I think the phrase is a good one. They're they're, they're taking steps to empower Mac Jones. And really, in my mind, one of the first ones is the addition of Bill O'Brien. Tell me a little bit about what sort of impact a guy like O'Brien can have. What's the upside there? Yeah, a lot of upside, Pricey. He's one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, and he's done it as an offensive coordinator. I know as a general manager, he's going to have a less than stellar reputation. A lot of his big moves do not pay off in a significant way. But as a head coach, he's the winningest coach in Texans franchise history, which you may say, first of all, it's not that old of a franchise. Second of all, it's not like they've had a bunch of winning coaches there, but still, the most relevant the Texans have been as a franchise has been with Bill O'Brien as their head coach. And it hasn't always been because he was littered with a bunch of top flight wide receivers uh, in 2021, which was the last season, excuse me, 2020, which was the last season that we saw Deshaun Watson play for the Houston Texans. He was out 2021 and then most of 2022. Uh, he led the NFL in passing yards and passing touchdowns. Like he was a, high, a prolific quarterback, and it wasn't like he was throwing to, you know, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and Stephon Diggs. He was throwing to good players, but not necessarily elite players across the board. And, you know, this goes back to Bill O'Brien's tenure with the Patriots as well, as we know. And, you know, obviously Tom Brady, greatest, most accomplished quarterback of all time, but it would be reductive and oversimplified to say, you know something, he had Tom Brady. That's all that matters, right? Like even Tom would tell you that Bill O'Brien is one of the best offensive minds that he's ever been around. He was a big part of the Patriots spearheading this sort of two tight end revolution, which revolution might be too strong of a characterization, but before the Patriots doubled down that tight end spot, not a lot of teams in the NFL were consistently doing that. We see a whole lot more of it today than we did about a decade, I guess more like 12, 13 years ago when the Patriots first got started in that regard. And I think there's an accountability with Bill O'Brien that is unmistakable. Yeah, he's going to run hot. That's part of his disposition. But there's no mystery from that. And it's not rooted in you know, frustration with the player on a personal level. It's rooted from wanting to be great. And I think the interpersonal skills of Bill O'Brien are going to help this offense a lot. I think that and we still have a ways to go in the offseason, specifically the draft. But I truly believe that the most impactful thing the Patriots did from a roster standpoint this offseason is hiring Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator because the upside's tremendous. And I think Mac Jones, and I know Bill Belichick has been coy about who the starter is, but I'm operating with the idea that Mac Jones is the starter. And along those lines, I really believe it's one of the best fits for him as an offensive coordinator. You bring up the draft, and I want to kind of take the conversation in that direction. What's the draft priority or priorities as you see them for the Patriots as we sit here 10 days out? A humble reminder to people, I know it gets lost in the shuffle, and I know that it's not nearly as exciting when you don't fill an obvious need, but the draft is not just about this year. It's about projecting out for four or five seasons in the case of a first-round pick because of the team option. So uh, while there is a there are players available that could certainly fill the Patriots' immediate needs, It's also part of their responsibility to be thinking beyond this year. 
an example of that. And I don't think there is a player at 14 that fits the bill at this position. But if you look at the tight end room, the two most veteran and accomplished and talented players are Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. They're both going to be free agents as of right now after this season. So tight end's an example of a need that if the Patriots draft a guy in the third round, is there a guarantee he plays a ton of snaps this year? No, but he might play a ton of snaps next year if Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki are playing elsewhere. But that's getting a bit of our head of our, a bit ahead of ourselves. I feel like the Patriots were always really good with that or have been with running backs, right? They've all, you know, whether it was James White or Shane Vereen or guys who you're thinking to yourself, wait, they barely play as a rookie. How how could that be a useful draft pick? Well, Trey Flowers guys, is Trey Flowers is another name that comes to mind. That red shirt totally. year. Absolutely. That, that, that feels like that, that they're kind of in, in the pipeline. Absolutely agree. Now, in terms of more specific needs, I think cornerback, perimeter cornerback with some size remains one. And I believe that this is the position that best aligns with the Patriots' needs and the draft value board right now. It's a good cornerback class in the first round. You've got two and Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez from Illinois and Oregon, respectively, that are very different styles of players. But I think everybody believes absolutely are top 14 players in this draft, regardless of position. Patriots are assuredly hoping for, I would imagine, the following things to happen. All four quarterbacks go ahead of them in the first 13 picks. And Bijan Robinson, who is a tremendous player. I'm not ruling him off the Patriots board because uh, he's unbelievable. Like, I- I've already imagined what the reaction would be if Bijan Robinson became a Patriot. And part of me would be like, you know, you have good running back. You have a good running back in Ramondre Stevenson. You have some depth with two players who drafted last year and added James Robinson in free agency at the same time, like wherever Bijan Robinson goes, he's already the favorite to become the NFL's offensive rookie of the year. So I imagine almost in some ways though, the Patriots because of the value of that position would be happy if he went in the first 13 selections, cornerback mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Offensive tackle makes a lot of sense to me as well. Patriots may have their two starting offensive tackles already on the roster, whether it's Trent Brown, whether it's, Riley Reef, whether it's Calvin Anderson, three guys who are making not necessarily, and Trent Brown's making pretty darn good money, and Riley Reef has a chance to make some good money via incentives. But it's not like any of those guys, by the length of their contract or the size of their contract, is an absolute, no two ways about it, lock them in starter right now. But I think there's also a pretty clear path to each one of them earning a starting role. Now, that being said, Roderick Jones from Georgia. Paris Johnson from Ohio State is sitting there at pick 14 for the Patriots. Things could get pretty interesting. Both guys who obviously played at big pedigree schools. They both played against top competition, having played in the college football playoff. Roderick Jones, uh, before people say, well, do you really want to go down the path of taking another Georgia tackle after probably some scar tissue has developed due to Isaiah Wynn? Totally different players. I, I think as a, as a scouting staff, you got to be able to compartmentalize and look past where a player went to school uh, before deciding whether he fits or doesn't fit within your program. And then the last position I think people are talking about a lot is wide receiver. I tend to think of it as like there's at least one wide receiver spot still available. You've got two players in Kendrick Bourne and also Devontae Parker who are going into the final year of their current contracts. Tyquan Thornton, a guy that I think you have some pretty significant uh, hopes for if you're the Patriots, and Juju Smith-Schuster, each of those players under contract for the next three years, and you know those are guys that are going to be around for a while. So I'm not sure that you have three wide receiver spots available right now, because that's four locks, in my opinion, right there, barring injury. Uh, but I think the Patriots could probably use something a little bit different at the wide receiver core that they don't have right now 
one big thing I'd mention is, again, everybody's board is different. It just takes one team to pounce on a player to have him land in a certain spot. But if I were to look at the draft right now and just do like run a, a 10,000 simulation mock draft, my guess is that on average, the wide receivers aren't necessarily in teams' minds as much value to pick 14 other than maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, who if he's there for the Patriots, I, I think he is a worthwhile consideration for their board. I've talked about this with several guests, the possibility of them double dipping at a position. If they do that, what position do you think they'd be most inclined to try? It feels like tackle, but is there another position where you think they could they could follow that route? Tackle's the first one that comes to mind for me. Um, I think the cornerback pass rusher are always going to be priorities in that regard. I think we just have learned that with the league right now is that you can never have enough of those. And the Patriots do have a good pass rush. Obviously they had Matthew Judon playing another unbelievable season. He has just been, he's been worth every penny and about, I don't know, 10 million more per year than he, what he actually earned. And Josh Uche had a breakout season last year. Really one of the bright stories for this Patriots defense they had a lot of them last year, but Uche going into the final year of his contract and guys uh, that have played big roles for them. Um, I wouldn't say any of the other pass rushers are like lock it in blue chip uh, difference, making edge rushers on a week in and week out basis, at least at this juncture, based off what we've seen. I know the cornerback room has some, some depth, right? I mean, Jonathan Jones and Marcus Jones and, you know, Jack Jones, so a lot of Joneses keeping up with the Joneses in the cornerback room amongst the players. They're going to make up that cornerback room, but I, I just don't think you can have enough depth there, especially if they bring something different, which right now, not to not to repeat myself, but you need some size in that cornerback room yeah. because the three Jones is probably average out at what, like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, if, that, uh, if yeah. that. So, uh, and, and certainly those guys had some awesome moments last year. Um, but like the, the, the game that always sticks out to me for the Patriots and the cornerback play is not the Minnesota game. Everybody's going to say, you know, Justin Jefferson did his thing against Jonathan Jones. He's also the best wide receiver in the NFL. Like, you know, whether that was Darrell Rivas in his prime or Jonathan Jones in 2022, like sometimes the offensive players is better too. Like that does happen, believe it or not. Um, but the the Cincinnati game late in the season when yeah. uh, Marcus Jones did have a pick six, right? But he also has plays where he's lined up opposite T. Higgins. And you're talking about, a, I think, at least seven or eight inch difference in terms of size and he, he was, you know, blanketing him on some plays, but Joe Burrow is so surgical and accurate that he's thinking to himself, I'm going to throw it high and let the guy who's got seven inches and whatever the difference in vertical leap is on the cornerback, go make a play. So that would be the one area specific to the cornerback spot that I would hone in on is, you know, if there's a 5'11", 5 5, uh, excuse me, six foot, six one uh, corner available and Christian Gonzalez fits that bill, uh, he would be the player that I think would really be a, a big difference maker for the Patriots secondary. I'm glad you bring up Marcus Jones, and, and I'm curious, from a fantasy perspective and maybe from a personnel perspective, what do you make of yeah. him? If you're Bill, how yeah. do you utilize him or best utilize him in 2023? Because I think he remains a really intriguing prospect in all three areas of the game. No question about it. I think that of the past, like, I don't know how long, but like, he's the most Patriot Patriot in quite some time. Right. I mean, he is three phase player, scored in all three phases last year, which is just incredible. Uh, homegrown. Third round pick, a little bit overlooked, but won the Paul Horning Award back in college, which is given every year to the most versatile player in college football. Unbelievable kid. Had a chance to do an event with him this offseason and couldn't be more impressed uh, with Marcus Jones from a maturity standpoint. The guy is as A++ as it gets from a football character standpoint. 
And I would say that the fact that he took it all on as a rookie and handled it seamlessly suggests that like there's room for even more. Now, from a, a snap management standpoint, I don't know that you can be a full-time cornerback and a half-time wide receiver, you know, play 50% of the snaps. But what's clear is, I mean, he's the he, he is absolutely, I mean, he, he is unstoppable with the football in his hands, right? That play against Buffalo really stands out as one of the more unique run-after-catch plays by any player in the NFL last year. I know he didn't zigzag, but it was just like his burst from 0 to 60 is exceptional. No. So. I think that's that's yeah, it's it's tremendous. My guess would really be that this is a, you know, it's one of those conversations that I don't know that you hammer a plan out right now. I think the idea is that this time of the year, you're getting Marcus Jones some work with Ross Douglas, your wide receivers coach, and Troy Brown, of course, your wide receivers coach in return. Both of them obviously work with wide receiver group and the return specialists. Um, and then you're working with the cornerback room as well, Mike Pellegrini, your cornerback coach, and you're saying, I'll teach them all. I'll teach them at all. And I think it almost is like one of those where probably not a perfect analogy, but it's like a three point specialist in the NBA where you're just like, there might be games we're leaning on them a ton because we're, yeah. we're going, you know, playing fast pace against a, you know, a team that can, can put the ball in the bucket. There might be games where, you know, slower paced team and you say, you know what? Defense is fine here. Um, I would I would say probably on average though that Marcus Jones' best value is on is on defense. It's where he's played his whole career, and that slot cornerback spot is so valuable, and especially in today's NFL where they make it so hard to play defense. Like finding a guy who's capable like he is can provide a lot of return. My old podcast partner compared him to Julian Edelman a little bit, and I know that's a yeah. dangerous comp because Edelman had such a phenomenal career in New England, but a, a smallish guy, overlooked, versatile who can do a bunch of stuff. And, and again, that that's a dangerous road to go down because Edelman has you know, had such a legendary career, but I think it's a good place to start, at least where he is right now. If it's drawing that comparison and the reaction from the audience is not, whoa, 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 it's a good sign, right? I mean, he has shades of Julian Edelman. He has shades of Troy Brown late in his career when he moved to the defensive side of the ball on occasion. I mean, um, you know, I think that's one thing, and I know that this wasn't the exact question we started with, but as I think about how the Patriots get back on track, Pricey, I do think that like some of the things that made them so special in their early run, that first run, and to a degree, that second run of three Super Bowls. But unfortunately, in the, in the culture that we live in today, everything is just, well, Tom Brady got him to six Super Bowls, and that's all that matters, right? And everybody else is, is just, uh, you know, they're just riding Brady's coattails, which two things can be true. Brady can be the greatest player of all time. And they could have run an absolutely brilliant operation or they can continue to run a brilliant operation without Tom Brady. Um, but you think back to like early in the 2000s and it was players who, I, I, this is going to sound so dumb that people are probably going to, you know, just want to turn the podcast off, but they're just football players, right? They're just guys who, regardless yeah. of what their listed position is on the roster. It's what can you do for me week in and week out? I mean, you think about some of the early Patriots runs, and I'm not just talking about guys like Troy Brown, who moved from being one of the most productive slot receivers in the NFL to playing defensive back, I mean, and doing it at, his, at a good level too, right? But I'm talking about guys, obviously Mike Vrabel always stands out, right? This is the kind of guy who is a you know, rock-solid defensive player, played on special teams, had 10 career touchdown catches, but Think about the first Super Bowl, what the Patriots did with Mike Compton, who they decided to move to center because they were yeah. having issues with snapping the football and the gun. And it was like, yeah, you know what? Play him at center, right? Or they find Stephen Neal, a, 
wrestler who his first training camp pricey i'm sure you remember it but it was like a mess it looked like a baby deer out there right like they're like you know obviously it's great that he's whatever 275 pounds it can probably run a four eight but you know i was getting his ass butt beat left and right sorry about that and uh you know not going to be able to translate all the natural skills he has and then within like two three years of development under the great uh, legendary dante scarnecchia He's moved all over the offensive line and just becomes this total beast at guard. That to me is what has to continue to find the Patriots is football players. I know that sounds generic and simple and maybe even silly football players. And I think Marcus Jones, one of the better examples of a guy that regardless of what he's listed as uh, on the, on the Patriots roster, like how do you make the most of him every single week? I think back to the conversations, the phone calls that both Julian Edelman and Matthew Slater said that they had with Bill Belichick on draft day, where they said, look, we don't, he, Belichick said, look, we don't know what we're going to do with you, but we'll find a spot for you. The ability to win on the margins, I think, define the Patriots in a lot of ways when you talk about that first run. And one of the things that I think they really excelled at was special teams. And it feels like they need a bit of a kick in the ass a little bit when it comes to special teams, whether it's coaching, whether it's personnel, whatever the case may be. What do you see them doing this offseason that maybe gives you some optimism when it comes to that special teams position? Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm putting I, I get it. Like, I don't want to I'm going to go through my answer. Then I'm going to retort to what I think fans would probably ask me. And I and I understand their mindset, by the way, it is personnel wise. They did make some additions, whether it was Chris Board and free agency who Bill Belichick went on a Chris Board rant for the Lions game last year that like you might as well have penciled him in to become a Patriot <laughs> after the season once that rant took place, right? But not just Chris Board added, also having, uh, you know, obviously bringing back Cody Davis, who we'll see where he's at medically, but it's an ACL tear, which we've seen guys come back and look like themselves at some point uh, down the road. But I was saying this at an event recently, uh, a special teams unit is often like a chain link fence. And you lose one link and all of a sudden everything else is compromised. And I thought Cody Davis really was compromised or, or his loss really compromised the Patriots in a couple of different phases. And that's obviously not to blame Cody. It's that's what happens when you get injured, but it's actually to highlight and credit Cody Davis for being such a steadying force. He was the personal protector on the punt team. And then obviously played basically on every coverage unit. And then late in the season, I, and I understand that it was, uh, there, there's a lot more than just one player that goes into two kickoff returns allowed, but Brendan Schooler is out in week 18 of the NFL's regular season and Patriots allow two kickoff returns for a touchdown. So I think the Patriots having their guys back intact will be significant. And I think there will be some more Joe judge influence this year. than there was last year. I know the cam core became the person everybody wanted to get mad about. And I get it. Bill Belichick at the owner's music, I thought offered something and I'm not trying to just like defer to whatever Bill says, but no, he did astutely point out that, you know, in those two years that Joe Judge was with the Giants, the Patriots were number two in special teams rankings back-to-back seasons. And I don't know if that was a Rick Goslin reference or uh, which specific ranking reference it was, but it was accurate, right? The Patriots were excellent on special teams to sure. the point that one of the narratives was always, well, they care too much about special teams. We need more defensive or offensive playmakers. And then all of a sudden the special team stinks for a year. Everybody's saying, Fire the special teams coordinator and replace the entire you know core four units. So it's a little bit of a uh, slippery slope there. Uh, so that was my because I know fans would say, why do you bring back the same coach? Um, I think Pricey, it's an execution thing. 
I'm, I'm not saying that special teams is not complex because it, it can be, but it's not like the number of wrinkles in the special teams playbook is anywhere close to the offensive playbook, right? It's there's a couple different types of ways you can protect on the punt unit and, and on the kickoff coverage. It's are you disciplined? You got 10 lanes plus the kicker and one guy loses his lane. All of a sudden, Naheem Hines goes for two touchdowns in one game on special teams. Who's going to have a bigger impact on the 2023 roster, Juju Smith-Schuster or Mike Kosicki? Or are we possibly sleeping on a healthy James Robinson? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, James Robinson, let, let me just sort of address each of them individually in reverse order. James Robinson's really compelling, Pricey, because uh, at first, you know, when he signs, uh, so f- for those who maybe are a little bit less familiar, you know, three years ago, he comes in the NFL as an undrafted free agent from Northern Illinois and has this unbelievable season for the Jaguars when they were terrible. He was the only good thing about their roster three years ago, but had over a thousand total scrimmage yards, was great in the passing game, awesome runner. And you're like, this guy's going to be a thing for a long time in the NFL. Um, injuries caught up to him in a hurry. So did Travis Etienne, who was drafted in the first round a couple of seasons ago. Uh, but last year, that knee injury, who's coming off an Achilles tear uh, in January of 2022, he returns miraculously for the beginning of the 2022 season. And then it was apparent pretty quickly that that was like he had did not have the same explosion. And we're seeing this more and more around the NFL where Good examples last year, there, there are actually a lot of them, but like Robert Woods was a year off of the ACL and Chris Godwin was a year off the ACL. And like Godwin's yards per catch, and maybe this was in part because of the way that Bucks had to play offense, it dropped by like five yards per reception. That's a dramatic drop off. Like guys post-ACL, Saquon Barkley going back a few years is a terrific example of this. It's just really hard to bounce back in that next season and be anywhere close to yourself. So I think the James Robinson is going to be an interesting one to evaluate in training camp because if he looks more like the player he was for the first two se- you know, season and a half of his career, two seasons, he has a chance to really make an impact on this Patriots roster. Um, but I think you got to follow the money sometimes. And his contract had zero, zero guaranteed dollars. Not a single penny of his contract was guaranteed at signing, which tells you the Patriots want to see him stay healthy and on the field. Mike Kosicki is an interesting player. He has one of the most dramatic catch radiuses, radii in the NFL. Uh, he's like, he's a former volleyball player and he'll make a couple of plays this year that you're like, I totally like, if you imagine the football as a volleyball, like it looks like he's going up for a spike. He's just, mm-hmm. he snares these catches out of thin air seemingly. Uh, not a big run after catch player, but I think functionally he's a big receiver. He's a big slot receiver. If you go back and check his inline snaps two years ago, it was basically like, it actually was a surprise in some ways that when he got franchise tagged, there wasn't more conversation about whether he deserved to be a wide receiver yeah. and not a tight end by franchise tag designation. But interesting, unique player, never been a major volume player, which is where I'll go to Juju Smith-Schuster. I just think that like when a guy has potentially 110 targets as opposed to 60 targets, it probably leads to him being the most impactful of these players. And I know there was much made of Juju Smith-Schuster signing the same contract as Jacoby Myers. I would argue and I would offer that if Juju Smith-Schuster – makes $33 million over the next three years. That means he hit every single one of his incentives, and it means the Patriots got one of the best value contracts in free agency. Jacoby Myers can just show up for the next three years and catch zero passes, and he's getting $33 bucks. That's a great deal. I mean, it was, it was a good deal for Jacoby Myers. It's not the same deal for Juju Smith-Schuster. It just isn't, right? Like, that's a 
it's frankly it's a stronger deal for Jacoby than it is for Juju. He has something more to prove uh, this year, based in over the next three years, to earn all thirty-three million of those dollars. But you know, I think that uh, Juju, while uh, hasn't had the season that he had in his second year when he won the Steelers MVP award with like over 1,500 receiving yards on the same team that had Antonio Brown. Good after the catch, got some size to him, played in a ton of big games, should be a reliable target for Mac Jones. Awesome, awesome dude. I don't, I would say ignore some of the, you know, the, the idea that he's like this, this TikTok famous wide receiver. No, like if you speak to people that have actually been around Juju Smith Schuster, Tremendous teammate, going to fit right in with the guys. So that, to me, I think has a chance to be a real solid addition for the Patriots. Daniel Wright of the NFL, veterans retire, new faces emerge, younger players assert themselves. You had Devin McCourty retire in New England. Who are some guys that you would look to? Uh, I had Dev on the podcast a little while back, and yeah. he mentioned some guys like Jonathan Jones. Yeah. But, you know, a, a lot of it, honestly, and I've asked this of some other people as well, it feels like this is Mac's year to really assert himself as a leader. Yeah. In addition to Mac, give me some names here that you think guys who we might be sleeping on who have a chance to kind of fill that leadership void. Yeah, so it's funny. I'm, I'm glad you, asked, you, you specifically said the leadership void for Devin because the truth is that for Devin, you're not just replacing the free safety spot, but you are replacing the leadership because he was, along with Matthew Slater, the, the two leaders of this team. And one of the greatest leaders in sports was Devin McCourty. So I think from a leadership standpoint, let's start in the defense, just because uh, obviously he's going to spend a lot of time with this side of the ball in this room. And I think it's Jonathan Jones. And I know that I'm not trying to just take Devin's answer, but uh, when we circle back to what Bill Belichick had to say at the owners meetings, you know, he was asked about each of the new free agents and didn't offer a ton, which I would say is part for the course. Right. But when he was asked about Jonathan Jones, he just went on and on about how, how fired up he was to have him back. And, you know, Jonathan's a guy who's won multiple Super Bowls, been a key contributor for the Patriots on Super Bowl winning teams, guy who obviously was asked to punch a bit above his weight last year. And what he is, is like solid number two cornerback and a top slot cornerback when he is relegated to just that role. But leadership, respect, none of those things are going to be an issue for Jonathan Jones. So it wouldn't surprise me if he takes on a bigger role in that regard. And then, you know, you always have your eyes on players that haven't been asked to serve that role yet, but could be this year. And, you know, there's different ways to lead. You know, Kyle Duggar is a real soft-spoken guy, but obviously as far as impact goes, I mean, how many players are better on that defense Matt Judon is a guy who certainly is a leader in so many ways, including yeah. his play on the field. I don't know if he'll, if he'll be a, a captain or not, but certainly brings an unmistakable energy. And the guys certainly gravitate towards Matthew Judon. So maybe he takes on a bigger leadership role as well this year. You know, He has tended to, or at least in his two years in England, has preferred to work out independently. He has been you know at home, which by the way, voluntary workouts, right? Those, I always stress that it's voluntary. These players have within, haven't within their right to do that. But um, as far as like, you know, captain criteria goes, oftentimes Patriots is guys who are there, you know, throughout the off season as well. The parking space. All goes back to the parking, the parking space, space right? Who gets right, the parking baby. spaces? Right. You know, yeah. the guys who are in the building. Um, want to wrap up here with a couple of league-wide questions, kind of rapid fire stuff. Want to get your take on who's playing quarterback for the Jets come week one. Aaron Rodgers, and I would love for them to find a way to just get this stinking deal done. But it'll be Aaron Rodgers' pricey. We've come way too far down this road. And at the end of the day, Packers, take a little less. Jets, give a little more. Meet in the middle. There you are. If Carolina holds on to the number one pick, who are they taking? 
Bryce Young from Alabama, and we are now 10 days at the time of this conversation from the start of the NFL draft. I would say nothing is a guarantee uh, in the draft, but that is about as close to a guarantee as I can give you right now. I'm really intrigued by Anthony Richardson. Give me the best possible fit for him in the NFL. Seattle, uh, a chance to wait for one year and then play in an offense that already has two receivers locked into place. An offensive line that has a chance to be really good. They smothered their draft last year, did Seattle. Anthony Richardson would be a ton of fun to watch in that offense. Give me your one rock-solid, pound-the-table draft take that you think has to happen on draft weekend. Ooh, okay, Devin Witherspoon's my guy. This year's like the player that I love to watch the most. He needs to go in the first seven selections, either sixth overall to Detroit or seventh overall to Las Vegas Raiders. Two teams, especially Las Vegas, who are in major need right now of cornerback reinforcements. Phil, this has been great, man. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to watching you. Are, are you going to be part of ESPN's coverage on Draft Weekend? Are you going to be on TV? ESPN's, yeah, ESPN's, uh, I'll be on TV during the day. And then during the draft, uh, for Thursday, Friday, we do a draft show. It's on all ESPN's digital platforms. For those that want to watch on Twitter, YouTube, ESPN app, you name it, we will be there. We'll have a reaction to every pick to the first through the first three rounds. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, my friend. I know you're really, really busy this time of year, so I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Thank you for having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. One more reminder. This episode of the Patriots Report has been brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your NBA betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at BetOnline. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at BetOnline. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the finals. BetOnline is your NBA headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.